1922, Howard Carter made one of the greatest archaeological discoveries of all time. He discovered the pharaoh King Tut's tomb. Unlike other tombs that had been emptied by grave robbers, King Tut's tomb was full of priceless artifacts. In fact, it wasn't just priceless artifacts. Also contained in his tomb was the king himself in a mummified body. It took over eight years for archaeologists to remove and document all of the treasures of Tut's tomb. And as many of you know, very shortly after that, Tut and all of his stuff went on a tour across the world. Many countries hosted in their museums and millions upon millions of people stood in line just to get a glimpse of the dead king. The world celebrated a tomb that wasn't empty. This morning as we come together on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the fact that Jesus' tomb was empty. In fact, in comparison uh, to Tut's full tomb, the empty tomb of Jesus contains riches that are far more priceless than anything seen in Tut's tomb. Ironically, as Tut's tomb toured across the world, everyone had to pay an entrance fee to see it. But with Jesus' tomb, the world has been blessed not by anything that they've seen. The world has been enriched not by Jesus' stuff or by his physical body, but by the good news that has come out of that empty tomb. This morning, I want to spend some time with you to look into the empty tomb of Jesus, to see what it is that has come out of that tomb that has been such a rich blessing to people for generations and generations. And so this morning, I want to share with you four riches that come out of the tomb, the empty tomb of Jesus. And just to help you to remember, all four of them begin with the letter F. And so the first one that we see is forgiveness. Uh, Forgiveness means a debt that we owe that has been paid. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate being in debt. Uh, Particularly, I hate being in debt when I have to actually pay the debt. I had a good friend of mine that I worked with at the police department, and uh, he owed me $5 from years and years ago. And every time we get together, we joke about it. And he'll always say to me, well, brother, I'd rather owe it to you than cheat you out of it. Um, The thing about most debts is you can't cheat your way out. In fact, when it comes to the debts that are really important, when it comes to the big debts, no, we can't cheat our way out of them. The debt that Jesus came to settle, the debt that he came to fulfill for us was one of the biggest debts in all of human history. It's one of those debts that you just can't pay off. It's one of those debts that loom over you and just grows like compound interest. Um, It's like being 
a poor person with no income who has their mailbox filled every day with bills and eviction notices. Our debt comes from who we are. Our debts come from just being who we are. My debt comes from being Fred. Every single day that I wake up, I rack up debt just being who I am. Now, I know some of you think, well, thank God my parents didn't name me Fred. But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter if your name is Fred. It doesn't matter if it's Jim or Sally or Joe or Donna. In fact, it doesn't even matter if your name is uh, Preston or Winston or uh, Hillary or Missy. Every single one of us owes a debt, not just for what we've done, but for who we are, because who we are is sinners. And that's a debt we can't repay. It's a debt that just builds interest every single day. It's funny, when, when we think about paying that debt um, or looking at owing, um, our math is a little skewed. Uh, we use that math of I'm not as bad as, or we use uh, the other that says I'm more good than bad. I'm 60% good and 40% problematic, or I'm uh, 70% good and, and 30% problematic, or 90% good and 10%. The, the problem with that is, though, it still doesn't sound good to say well, I'm 60% good and 40% evil um, because 40% evil is still a big problem when we're causing heartache and pain to other people. And God's math goes something like this. I brought you into this world perfect. I want you to bring me back perfect. But we know we can't do that. We're not perfect. The problem is our first parents chose sin over being perfect. And when they made that choice, their children inherited that sin. Because they became sinners, their children became sinners. Just like if my parents are Irish, yeah, I'm going to be born to being Irish. Well, we're all born as sinners, and that's something that we can't fix. Even if we can look at others and say, well, I'm better than this person, or 90% of me is really good. It's just that 10%. It doesn't fly with God. Because God being God is not 90% good and 10% evil. God being God is perfect. Because otherwise he wouldn't be God. And to accept people into his kingdom. Who are not perfect means that he is no longer perfect. If he no longer holds the standard of perfection as being 100%. Then we worship a God who's not quite 100%. But here's the good news. While we had this incredible debt that we couldn't pay because we weren't good enough, we weren't smart enough, we weren't talented enough. God paid the debt for us. 
he came to this earth. He took on flesh. And the person Jesus Christ, he walked amongst us. He ministered to us. And he allowed himself to be crucified on a cross for our sin. Uh, This God-man, this man who represented us, but was different in the sense that he was sinless, was able to stand in our stead because of his sinlessness and because he was God. He was able to be put to death and rise again and find victory over the grave. Because the only victory that you can find over death is a victory over condemnation for sin. And that is what God has come to bring us. That's the good news and the miracle of Easter. We are forgiven. Jesus died on that cross and he took on our sins. He was put in a grave and then he bust out. And he made for us a way from this side of paradise to the other. Forgiveness, it is one of the greatest riches that we have that comes from the empty tomb. And it is given to us just simply as we recognize that we're sinners. As we recognize that there's something wrong with us. And we all know that. We all know deep down inside, no matter how much of a front we put up as being smart or kind or sensitive, we know inside of us there is a being that isn't the being we portray. But when we're willing to recognize it, when we're willing to repent, which just simply means to see it and to feel sorrow over it and to know that we've wronged God. And when we're willing to receive, to go to God and say, I thank you for what you've done for me. And I receive it as mine. I receive Christ as mine. Well from recognizing to repenting to receiving. Then we just rejoice. There's nothing else we have to do. God has done it all for us in Christ. That's the power of forgiveness. That's the power of what Jesus did for us. And that's one of the great riches. That the empty tomb brings to us. Not only do we find the riches of forgiveness within the tomb. But when we look into it we find something else. The riches of fellowship. Not only did God pay our debt, but he made us a part of his family. He brought us into union with him. We are now the children of God. We often talk about everyone being children of God, but that's not really true. You know, as well as I know, there are plenty of people who would never even want to be considered a child of God. They don't believe in God. The truth is to be a child of God means to receive what his son did for us on the cross. And when we receive that, we become his children. When we receive that, we have fellowship with him. What does that mean to have fellowship? It means to be brought into union with him and with all who believe on him. It means to have acceptance, to know we're accepted when nobody else accepts us. 
to know no matter what anyone thinks about me, I know that God accepts me and that God loves me for who I am. Jesus didn't save me because he saw a great promise in me. He saved me because I was a mess. But once he saved me, he brought me into fellowship with the Father. That's the blessing of Easter. I belong to a family. I'm accepted by God, even if the whole world turns against me. Acceptance, involvement, God's fellowship brings me to a place where I can be involved in purposes greater than what this world can offer me. Because let's face it, all this world can offer to us is uh, brief momentary periods of wealth or of popularity or of prestige, power. But the truth is what God offers us is something greater. To become part of a purpose that is really worth living and dying for. To engage the world with a love that will last for all of eternity. You see, being in fellowship with God, it, it lets you know you're acceptable when no one else accepts you. It helps you to see a vision of a future worth having. Thirdly, it brings us spiritual growth. Because as I'm in fellowship with God, as I draw near to him, he matures me and grows me in ways that this world can't. You can go to college and receive a doctorate, multiple doctorates. You can travel the world and gain all sorts of experience. Uh, You can rub elbows with important people. You can uh, fill your coffers with wealth. But at the end of the day, it doesn't bring growth. Real growth, real maturity, the kind of spiritual maturity that allows you to give more than you take, allows you to love people by putting their interest above your own, allows you to die for beliefs that are not only worth living for but dying for only comes when you have fellowship with God. Everything else is just a cheap imitation. Fellowship with God brings us acceptance, involvement, spiritual growth. It brings us love. A love that never lets us go. A love that we can feel pour over us at times when we need it most. Fellowship with God brings us joy. It puts a song in our heart. It it makes us feel intimate with God because intimacy really means into me see and God sees into us but when he does he doesn't see all of our flaws he doesn't critique who we are when he looks into us he sees the objects of his love that he gave his son for when we look into the empty tomb we see forgiveness and we see fellowship Thirdly, we see freedom. John 8, verse 36, Jesus says this, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. We love the word freedom. 
especially as Americans. We see ourselves as ambassadors of freedom. And yet the truth is we really don't know what freedom is because there are always bosses. There are always government officials. There are always regulations that hem in our freedom. Our sins hem in our freedom. The real freedom we have is a freedom that comes from God. The freedom that comes when we put God first. Knowing that if I put him first, then I will experience the best of everything. I'll have the freedom of knowing it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay for people to see that I'm a mess because God has determined me to be something greater than a mess. He's determined me to be one of his children. The freedom to be vulnerable, the freedom and vulnerability to be honest and to know no matter what strengths you have or no matter what flaws you have, you're in fellowship with God. He loves you. And he has set you free to be who you are. Uh, The freedom to be different. God created us with unique personalities. Uh, The moment we're born, our personalities show up. God doesn't want us to be like anyone else. He wants us to be who we are. God put Fred Williams in this time and this place for a unique purpose that no one else could fulfill. God put you in this time and this place for a unique purpose that only you can fulfill. You see, in Christ, we have become a child of God and we have been set free. Set free to be vulnerable. Set free to be different. Knowing that even if others don't accept us, it's okay. We are who God made us to be. And as the old saying goes, God doesn't make junk. We're free to be wrong. We're not trying to impress anyone. If God is impressed with us because of what he did for us, then we know even if we're wrong, it's okay. I'm free to be wrong. I don't have to worry That if I'm wrong, the world will fall apart or I won't be loved. That's the kind of freedom that God brings. The freedom to be wrong. The freedom to love. The freedom to give myself to others, knowing that I might even get hurt. But that God is strong enough to heal me in my hurts. And that God rewards me every time I step out and love others as he loved me. It's the freedom to give and the freedom to hope. You see, when you look in the empty tomb, what you see are real riches. The true riches that come with forgiveness. The true riches that come with fellowship and the the true riches that come with freedom. Lastly, what we see is the treasure of what we call faith. Faith is believing what we can't see. The writer of Hebrews puts it so well in Hebrews 11 verse 1. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is really about trust. And you know as well as I do, it's hard for us as human beings to trust. 
because our trust gets broken all the time. But faith is trusting in God. Trusting in what we can't see, but what he promised. And we trust it because we know that he is trustworthy. When Jesus came to this earth, when he spent those three years in his ministry, he made promises. And the biggest promise he made was that he would be taken, crucified, and that he would rise on the third day. And he did. When you look at the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, what you see is a God who makes promises and a God who keeps them. I can trust God because I can trust him because I've already seen how he has kept his promises. I can trust in his promises. I can trust in his word. I can trust in the Bible that when I read it and it speaks truth to me, even truth that I might not want or, uh, or truth that causes me to risk, I can risk because I know it's his word and he has sealed it in his spirit. I can trust in his word. I can trust in his presence. Uh, I love in Matthew 28, before Jesus is taken up, he says to his disciples, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I can trust that. I can trust that God is with me. I can trust that no matter where I am, God is there just like the air that I breathe. I can trust that he's sovereign, that nothing happens unless he allows it to happen. I feel for people, particularly in this time, who don't know the love of Christ. Because in the love of Christ, we have this incredible faith that chases away fear. In this time of uh, this uh, pandemic, it's easy to fear. If you don't realize that God has made a place for you in eternity, if you don't realize that there is something better than just this world, yeah, the fact of dying can be a very scary thing. In fact, it can lead to some of the hysteria we even see. And I, I can tell you for myself as a believer in Christ, as a person who trusts in the promises of God and the eternity that he has given to me, whether I live or I die, is not a big concern to me because I know I can trust in God. And I know whether I live or whether I die, God has prepared a place for me. I want to share a video clip with you. Um, this clip comes from the year 1969. Um, and it represents one of my favorite TV shows as a kid. In fact, at, during that time, I would say this was probably one of the most uh, famous TV shows. I can remember as a kid going to school, and if the show was going to be on that night, that's all we talked about. And then the next morning, we'd come to school after seeing it, and, and we would just talk about it all, all the, throughout the whole day. Um, let's look at this clip for a minute. This man has a singular advantage over other men. Ben Richards is immune to every known disease, including old age. 
periodic transfusions of his blood can give other men a second, a third lifetime, perhaps more. Ben Richards will live longer than anyone has ever lived. But a transfusion to the wrong man could make him a prisoner for all time. And so he runs from the hunters, the human hounds who would cage him. He's still a cool cat. That's a hip term from the 60s. Can you imagine being like Ben Richards? Having blood that can keep you alive forever? Having blood that when you cut yourself, your body just heals incredibly fast. What a wonderful thing to have. Um, the problem, though, when I look back on Ben Richards, as cool as he was, uh, he was a bit selfish because Ben Richards was always running from people who wanted his blood. That's the difference with Jesus. Jesus had very special blood. Jesus had the blood of a sinless man who died on a cross and spilled his blood for all of us. That in the spilling of his sinless blood, all of our sins would be paid for. Unlike Ben Richards' Jesus didn't run from the bad guys, the evil of this world. Even though it cornered him in a tomb, he busted out and he triumphed over his enemies. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, for all of us who have made Easter a part of our lives, for all of us who celebrate not a tomb of a rich king with a mummified body and earthly treasures, but we celebrate an empty tomb, a tomb that stands for victory of a God who came, who bore our sins, who died and who rose again and has offered us a pathway from this world to the next. I want to say to all of you, I pray that you'll have a blessed Easter this morning. And to my Faith Baptist family, I want to say I miss you. Um, doing this is, uh, is a chore, but it's a chore because I love you and I want you to know just how much God loves you. And I look forward to seeing you back soon here uh, within this sanctuary where we can celebrate together in one another's presence. But until that time, may God bless you and keep you. May God allow his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance and give you his peace. And may you continue to grow in the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and walk in his ways. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.